You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. If you're visiting or a guest today, I want to bring you up to speed with where we are in this summer series that we are calling Page Turner. It is a three-part series, a three-volume book. Uh, We are looking at the book of Acts, and it is a page-turner of a story. Whether you've heard it before or never heard it, I want you to look at it with fresh eyes so that you can see your roots, your spiritual roots. I want to begin with the text, and then I'll back up a little bit, but here's where we're going to go today. It's Acts chapter 9. One of the greatest chapters in this page turner of a story. And it begins with this. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, that's a captivating paragraph right there. Previously on Page Turner, we hear about what has happened as we look at this book of Acts, written by Luke, who was a doctor, who was one of Paul's followers, compatriots, um, and, and also the writer of the book of Acts. He just tells the story of Jesus and then Jesus' followers, and that's what the book of Acts is. It's the story of Jesus' followers. It's how they learned how to step forward in faith by the power of the Holy Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit as, as they were, were, were following the Spirit's work. And we learned previously how this first part of the book of Acts is all about awakening. After Jesus died and he ascended into heaven, he told them these words. He said to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is the thesis statement of the book. Anytime you learn a reading comprehension course, you are told, discover what the author is trying to say in the story by finding that thesis sentence. Those of you that are heading off to college, you'll learn this in your 101 uh, reading comprehension course. So you find out what the thesis statement is, and you see what the purpose of the book is. You will follow that book. You understand it more clearly. And that's the story right there. Jesus said, I'm not going to be around any longer. I'm going. I'm going back where I came from. But you're here, and now it's you with me in you. And that's going to happen by virtue of the Spirit of God coming into you. And when the Spirit of God comes into you, you will receive this ability to bear witness to me, to tell what you know, what you've seen, what you heard of me. You will be my witness. And so that's what happened. On the, so they were awakened to the power of the Holy Spirit, the people in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. Peter, the leader, was awakened to the fact that he would become the rock upon which Christ would build the church, not just the failure who denied Jesus, but the person who would speak boldly and be the spokesperson and the leader of the church. And then 3,000 were added. 5,000 became, it was just this growing, by exponential growth, this group of people who were starting to believe that this, this, this rabbi, this Jesus, this, 
this person who the religious authorities conspired with the Roman authorities to crucify, thinking that they would bury his message of claiming to be the Messiah who might lead this revolution they were afraid of. And so they killed him, they thought. Well, they did. But three days later, what happened? He rose from the dead. And it was these people who he appeared to who are empowered by the Spirit now start telling that story and other people start believing it. And you see this whole community of people who are awakened to the fact that when you have Jesus in you, you see and live differently. And so they had this community of faith, this new community that, that were unlike anybody else in those days. In a dog-eat-dog world, you had people that said, hey, I have something I'll share with you who don't have something. I don't have something I will gladly receive, but I will give myself to help others too. And so they had this thing called koinonia, where they got together daily, breaking bread, praying, learning, growing. And it was this incredible atmosphere of people who were growing just organically in this town, in the city of Jerusalem. But there was another group of people that were awakened also, as we read about, and it was the religious leaders, the people who gave the sentence that Jesus should be crucified, because they were the authority figure. They were the power brokers. They were the religious mafia leaders, so to speak. They had the power and control over people with religion, and when religion uses its power to control, to manipulate, it's a dangerous thing. And that's how these people were. And then they get this, this, this group of people that believe in the resurrection, these crazy people, this, these heretics, this growing community or commune of people. And it's a cult. To them, these believers were a cult. And so they felt like their responsibility was to stop it now. Don't let it grow. They were awakened to the growing threat that these people would be to their leadership because they didn't believe in a resurrection. And they definitely didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So they started putting, trying to crush this movement as, as any government that is threatened by an uprising will do. They will crush those who are a threat to their power. Power will do that. They will crush those who don't agree with them and they don't believe in them. And that's what was happening here. Last week, we read about what happened. Two weeks ago, we, we read the story of Stephen, who was made an example to these people. He's brought before the crowd of people and they accused him. And Stephen got up and he gave this message saying, I'm still going to believe in Jesus no matter what. And so they ended up stoning Stephen to death, giving the order in front of these people to make an example of him so that if you say those things that Stephen says, that will happen to you too. And the person who gave the order to do that was a man named Saul. Saul. And so what happened was the believers who saw this happening said, whoa, if I stay in Jerusalem and I keep telling this story, and if I keep being a part of this, my life is in danger. So what do people do? They scatter. They're, they become refugees, as we see in the world today, refugees fleeing from places where the authorities are coming down and crushing them. So they scatter to the surrounding countries. 
That's what a refugee is, and that's what's happening to the believers. Those are your ancestors. That's our spiritual DNA. That is our roots. That's who we are. And so they get scattered. And last week we read the story of Philip, one of those ones who gets scattered. He goes down to Samaria. And everywhere they went, they fulfilled the Great Commission. Jesus said, go, and as you are going, make disciples teaching them, preaching to them about Jesus and baptizing them. He goes to Samaria, people that the Jews despised, and he shares Christ. And these Samaritans start believing and coming to faith in Jesus. The people, the Jews, the only people that the Jews, they were so low on the totem pole of the Greco-Roman world, the only people they could look down upon were the Samaritans. And here, Philip, the first place he goes is to the Samaritans, and he reaches them with the gospel. And then, lo and behold, God tells him to go down to the road that goes to, toward Ethiopia, toward Egypt. And he walks along this chariot, and there's this up and out, this, this Ethiopian government official, this super wealthy guy. And Philip shares the gospel with him. And so in one chapter, we see as they're pushed out from Jerusalem, the poorest of the poor are welcomed with the gospel, and the wealthiest of the wealthy are welcomed by the same person, by the same gospel. And we see how the gospel leapt over the wall of prejudice and leapt over the wall of, uh, uh, of inferiority and leapt over the walls that people build uh, to keep each other apart. The gospel jumped over that wall and it broke down that wall. And the gospel is always about breaking down walls, not building up walls. And that's what we see happening here in the book of Acts. And that's your DNA. That's your spiritual DNA. This is the authentic growth of the gospel. We now are the book of Acts in our generation, and are we true to this DNA? Are we true to this story? That's the question that we keep asking. And so the whole first part of Acts, I'm asking the question, are you woke yet? Are you woke yet to what the message is about? Are you woke yet to to what Christ was all about? Are you woke to the things that are most important in the world? Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. It awakens you to the things that are most important about God and God's mission and plan. That's previously on page Turner. And today we come to this passage that we just read. Saul, still breathing threats, murder against the disciples, so the disciples in Jerusalem, he did a pretty effective job of crushing the movement in Jerusalem. They go underground and then they scatter. They go down and out. And so what does he do? He says, you know what? There's a great Jewish, there's a big Jewish community in Damascus. It's not too far from Jerusalem. And a lot of them are gonna go there. Those refugees, those people who scattered, they're gonna go there. So I'm gonna go to the mafia boss, the high priest, really the religious authority, and I'm going to get approval to put the hit on these people that are in, in, in Damascus. And I'm going to get approval to go to the synagogues there because all of the believers back then were still Jewish. Or these ones that left Jerusalem were, at least. And I'm going to go to the synagogue because that's where they're going to go. And I'm going to get approval to arrest women and children and put them in handcuffs and bring them back to Jerusalem because Paul Saul at that time was so zealous for God. Zealous for God 
as he knew God to be. And his view of God was, my way is the only way, and if it's not my way, then I have permission to kill people and destroy people who don't believe like me. If that's not bad religion, I don't know what is. And yet how many people today who claim to follow Christ have that mentality? If they don't think like me, look like me, believe like me, then I have permission to destroy them. And if not literally, at least in my mind, they're useless and worthless. And so he goes to Damascus with the letters in his hand from the high priest of Judaism. Talk about the high priest, the Pope of Judaism gives permission to go and to destroy this, these cultic believers, these heretics. And on the way, lo and behold, something happens. And as he went, verse three of Acts nine, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven just shone all around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, what do you mean? I'm just trying to do my job. I'm a good believer in God. I'm a religious person. I'm getting rid of these heretics. That's what you asked me to do. Or that's what I believe I'm supposed to do. He saw, he found himself fighting against God himself. What's interesting, this is sort of a nuance to the story here. Saul was a disciple of the famous Rabbi Gamaliel, the premier teacher. The, the Gamaliel rabbinic school was the Harvard of their day. And Saul was their top student. And it was Gamaliel when Peter and John were arrested after they healed the lame man and brought before the Sanhedrin and all that whole story. It was Gamaliel that said to the, to the Sanhedrin, he was part of the Sanhedrin, he said, he said these words. He said, um, leave these men alone for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, they will fail. But if it is of God, you won't be able to stop them. You will find yourself fighting against God. Fighting against God. Wow. And that's what Saul ended up doing. He found himself fighting against God. Well, the story goes on. And uh, so Saul's knocked off his horse and he asked the question, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? And, and not saying Lord like he believed Jesus was Lord. It's like Lord as, who are you, master? It's like the British version of, yes, my Lord. You know what I mean? Who are you, Lord? It was just the common way of referring to somebody who was in authority or important. Who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you'll be told what to do. And so the men who were traveling with him stood speechless and hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he, was, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and they brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So, 
this is the Damascus Road experience. You've heard of the Damascus Road. This is the Damascus Road experience. And what's the Damascus Road? It is a place where you find that the way you were going was the wrong way, and it's time to turn around to a better way. I love the fact that they called the, earlier, the early Christians followers of the way. They didn't call them believers in Jesus. They didn't call them people who said the right prayer so that when they die, their tickets punch and they go to heaven. They didn't call them people who, who believe that, uh, that, uh, that they were right and everybody else was wrong. They called them people who had a way of life that was different. In other words, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's not just saying, I'm going, I know I'm going to heaven when I die. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are followers of a different way of life. And Paul was going in one direction, or Saul, whose name became Paul when he went into the Greek world. He said, Saul was going in one direction, and all of a sudden he realized my way was the wrong way. Why? Because God knocked him off his high horse, and sometimes that's what we need to happen. Right? What need to happen? Repentance isn't just saying, I'm sorry. That's not repentance. That's saying you're sorry. Repentance is saying, oh, I realize that I was looking for love in all the wrong places and it was a dead end. And I needed to turn around and find it where it really is supposed to be found. I, I was looking to have my flesh fed, my needs met, my goals achieved by going this direction. And all of a sudden I realized, oh, that's not the right way. Metanoia talks about a new kind of mind, a change of mind. That's the word for repentance. It's about turning around, but not just by willpower. It's about by saying, oh, what I thought I could look for for all the answers to life was not the place to look for it. Oh, there it is, and going that direction. That's kind of the picture of what repentance is, and that's what happened to Saul on the road to Damascus. So, he was blinded to his wrong way so that he could see the light of Christ. True transformation, here's the point, is a work of God. It's miraculous. It takes a miracle to really be transformed. You can't do it by willpower. You can't do it by wanting to. You can't do it by just, by just you know, uh, going to church and hanging out with the right people. You, it's a change of thinking and way of viewing the world and life around you. And so, but here's where the story gets really interesting. And, and this is where I think the true hero of the story is. Saul's not the hero of the story. This next person is the hero of the story because Saul goes to Damascus where God tells him to go wait there, but there needed to be somebody else to come on the scene to help things really move forward and help Saul move forward. Verse 10, so now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied, Ananias, I want you to go over to Straight Street. It's just around the corner from Crooked Street and go to Straight Street. And, you know, Judas's house there. I want you to go there. And when you get there, I want you to ask for a man from Tarsus whose name is Saul. He's praying to me right now. In fact, I showed him in a vision that a man named Ananias was coming and he will lay hands on him so he can see again. <laughs> 
I, I, I love this because Ananias, put yourself in his shoes. Ananias, I have a mission for you. Go to Straight Street. Go to this guy named Saul. Lay hands on him and pray for him. And if this was a movie, the soundtrack would start playing the music. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun. It would be mission impossible because there's no way Ananias wants to go and pray for this guy. No way, no way. And so <laughs> Ananias says, but Lord, I love that. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he's authorized the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But Lord, how many of you have ever heard yourself saying that when you know you're supposed to do something, but the first word that comes out of your mouth is, but Lord, I want to watch my show. <laughs> but Lord... I would rather go shopping. But Lord, I don't want to volunteer. It's too much work. But Lord, I can't give from my income. I, I need some new clothes. But Lord, but Lord, we reply with this whining voice when God asks us something simple to do. Well, this wasn't something simple. And if he had that problem with something simple, why are we struggling with simple things that God asks us to do? And we whine and say, oh, but Lord, I can't volunteer to help in children's ministry. But Lord, I can't go on a mission trip. But Lord, you know what? Followers of the way didn't get on the way because it was an easy way. They didn't follow the way because it was, it, 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 it was the, the rose-covered pathway. It, it, it wasn't that. They got on the way because it was the right way. Those who were on the way changed the world, and you wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for those people back then. It's your roots. It's your foundation. It's what made you who you are. It's what gave birth to you spiritually. You take a, uh, a DNA test and you find out your genetic DNA and, oh, I might be a prince. I might be, you know, a princess. I might, you know. Yeah, and you might have a lot of scoundrels in your background too. You don't know that. But here is your spiritual DNA. This is what it was all about. Were they perfect? No. Were there scoundrels among them? Sure. But this is your roots. This is what makes you who you are, spiritually speaking. But Lord... But Lord, but Lord. So Ananias goes, and what does he do? He, lay hand, he lays hands on Paul, and he prays for him. Oh, actually, the Lord replied to him when he said, but Lord, I like this, verse 15. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And I think it was that last line that convinced the Ananias that, okay, if, if you promise me he's going to suffer, I'll go. <laughs> A 
fact of the matter is, our excuses that we throw up to God are ways that keep us from experiencing the greatest things that life have to offer us. Your willingness to say yes to God may cost you something, but the benefit for the kingdom of God is far worth it. It's far worth it. We have students that are, and, and young adult leaders that are heading out tomorrow to go to Cambodia. Do you think it's gonna be easy? Do you think it's gonna be comfortable? Do you think they're gonna stay healthy the whole time? Let's pray they do. Do you think they're gonna see things that maybe you and I would never see and experience life as other people live in parts of the world that you've never been to and see that the rest of the world might not have it like you, but they are in love with Jesus and doing things for God that we won't do because we're so used to saying, but Lord, I, I, I think the greatest things in life happen when we do difficult things. That's the way. And so Saul was chosen by God to reach the Gentiles. And then what happened was Ananias went, prayed for him. Scales fell from his eyes and he could see again and he ate. And the first thing he did was get baptized and his old self was buried and he became a new person in Jesus Christ. So Saul knew that he was a new person, but did the other people know that he was a new person? What happens there? He stays in Damascus. The people there, he starts immediately going to the very synagogues that he went with the orders to arrest and take these crazy believers in Jesus back to Jerusalem. And instead he goes to those synagogues and said, you know what? They're right. I was wrong. Jesus is alive. Jesus is real. Jesus just blinded me and I had this great experience and the rest of Acts is Paul going around the Greco-Roman world telling people this story of how Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared to him and now he is there for you and for me and for all of us. And so Paul goes into Damascus and he starts preaching Jesus. So much so that the, the, the religious mafia in Jerusalem hears about it and what do they do? They then put a hit on Paul because he becomes a traitor. And so his friends have to hide him and, and help him escape Damascus because he knew that a hit was out on him and they were coming to knock him out and he has to escape through a window in the wall of the village, the wall of, of Damascus. So what does he do? He goes to Jerusalem to Peter and Paul and the disciples and the, and, and the deacons and he tries to convince them that he's a changed person. What do you think they did? What do you think their reaction was? I don't believe it. You gave the order to kill our friend Stephen. We witnessed that. You arrested our friends and threw them into jail and they're still in jail because of you. And you're coming here and you're trying to tell me that you're one of us. I don't trust you. I don't believe you. I'm not gonna welcome you. And so Paul was not welcomed among the believers in Jerusalem and who can blame them, right? But another person shows up among the believers in Jerusalem. This was the man who very early on had some means, had some land, sold the land, took the money from it, gave it to the disciples and they used it to buy money for, to pay for food for the widows and the orphans and to care for one another. This man... Barnabas, this, this 
incredibly generous, kind person goes to the disciples and says, all right, I'll tell you what, he can come and stay with me. I'll keep him. I'll check him out. I'll see if it's real. And it was because of Barnabas that Saul was finally recognized by the leaders there as one of them. And so I want to wrap up. This story is just so fascinating. It's just, the, it is a page turner of a story. And, and, and two things that I just want to leave you with here this morning. When I think about the story, two things that inspire me. As I read any good book, I get inspired. You say, God, what's the, what's the inspiration here? What do we learn from this? Here's the inspiration that I get from this. Number one is this. Nobody is, belo- is beyond God's transforming power. If God could transform Saul, he can transform you. If Saul can turn this, if God can turn this guy that was heading to kill followers of the way and put him on the way, he can change your life around too. And he wants to do that. He wants to do that. Are, are, you, are you woke to that? Are the scales falling off of your eyes? Can you see that the way you're on is a dead end and you need to turn and see, oh, that's the way. Jesus is the way. No one is beyond God's transforming power. And if you're here today and you need God in your life, don't leave here without asking him. Don't walk out of here without saying, God, I surrender to Jesus. Spirit of God, fill my heart because I need it. And if you've done it before, then it should be easy for you to do it again. And do it again, and do it again, and do it again. And every day say, God, I want to follow you on your way today. Not my way, not my will, but what did Jesus teach us to pray? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that's the one big idea. The other one is this. Minor characters can play a huge role in moving God's mission forward. You might be there thinking, well, I'm no Apostle Paul. I'm no Peter. I'm no this. I'm no that. It was Ananias and Barnabas that made Paul who Paul was. Where would Paul be had it not been for Ananias and Barnabas? And yet they are minor characters in this this page turner of a story. Ananias especially. That's the only place we see about Ananias. And what did he do? He just said yes to God one time. And I want you to know the little things you do for God, you may think are not big, but God can do big things through the little things that you do. Loving that person that other people don't love, welcoming that person that other people don't welcome, caring for that person that nobody else will care for. That might seem little to you. It might not make the front page of the newspaper. It might not be somebody, something that every, all the church knows about. But what you do in doing those things moves the gospel forward. And that's the mission that you and I are all on today because we are acts in our generation. It is our story here now in our generation. And I want to know, are you in? Are you about that? Are you a part of that? But Lord, those people, I don't like them. They have a different lifestyle than me. They vote differently than me. They, you know, look differently than me. But Lord, yeah, 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 yeah. Go to them. 
Pray for them. Love on them. And let God do the work. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, thank you for this story because it's more than just a story. It's our history. It's our story. God, we want to be authentic to that story. We want to be real to that story. God, help us. Help us. I pray for anyone here today that realizes today, somehow, some way, the light has just shone in their heart and they're saying, oh, oh, I, I do need to change. I do need help. I can't do it myself. God, I pray for that person saying to you right now, God, I just want to surrender. I need to surrender to you. Come into my life. Help me, Spirit of God. I realize I can't do it myself realize my ways are just leading me down a path that's going to hurt if it hasn't already. If not me, it'll hurt others. So God, I, I, I do want to do right. I do want to be right. Help me. Spirit of God, come into my heart and my life. Help me. Help me. Help me. For those that are here this morning and they just feel like, you know, what can I do for God? I'm nobody. I'm a nobody. Help them to see that it's the minor characters that move the story forward. God, help us to realize there's no minor act of obedience to you. Every little step of obedience adds up to big changes happening. So we want to step forward, transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, saying yes to Jesus in our life. And if there's anyone here that there's somebody in their life that was there for them when they needed it, and now there's somebody in their life that needs them, I pray, God, that we would be those people that would step forward for those that need us right now. Bless us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.